So Blake and Peyton, pleasure to be speaking with both of you. And we'll throw the first question or questions at Blake. Besides, how are you? I want to know, is it Melbourne or Melbourne? What's the best way to say it? Melbourne. Anyway, you want to say it. (laughs) But if I had to say it, it'd be Melbourne. Melbourne. He gets it. So what's the prom like in Melbourne? Well, the thing is, in Australia, we actually don't do prom. So we right. have the thing in our, in our, I guess it's like a little formal dance that we do in our last year of school. So that would be year 12. Unfortunately for me, I didn't get to go to formal because I graduated uh, during COVID. So they shut that all down. But I got to kind of have my my little high school dance on, set of, on the set of prom pack. So made up for it for sure. Absolutely. And Peyton... Uh, congratulations on this project because not only do you get to star in it, but produced. I mean, hey, did you always want to be a producer? Yeah, I mean, doing more work behind the camera has always been a dream of mine. Um, So getting to sort of start that journey with this film um, was so exciting for me. And just being a part of, you know, the full creative process um, was very, very rewarding. Are you, like Blake, deprived of the prom experience as well? You know, similar to Blake, I never went to real prom. But dissimilar to Blake, I went to various other fake proms and prom-adjacent, like, events. Right. So I would say I honestly have had my fair share of prom, especially for never actually having been <laughs> Right. Well, uh, Blake, this next question goes at you. Mm-hmm. And of the of the Doogie Hauser reboot on Disney, who is your favorite performer on the show? Is this just for season one or can I go season two? Uh, I think you can do either or. He's going to say something that's going to hurt my feelings. I, yeah, I got to go with Peyton. Like, who oh, else? Oh, wow. But Milo's a very close second because Mr. Mannheim is in season two. True, but you made the right call. <laughs> I, I'm going to be doing Presser for the rest of today. So I had to have a very... You could have uh, just left it. No, no, I'm going to explain why. <laughs> yeah. So that's my answer. That was some excellent <laughs> corporate synergy. Considering the circumstances. <laughs> Considering the circumstances, that is my that answer. Is my, <laughs> final answer as of right this second. So Peyton, when did you film Prom Pact with relation to the latest season of Doogie? Yeah, so we shot Prom Pact um, at the beginning of last year. Yes. And then we shot... Um, the second season of Doogie right after. So I went pretty much straight from um, Vancouver to Hawaii. Um, I just like dropped off all my coats and like picked up all my bathing suits and left. Um, So, yeah. So you had to keep the secret that you're going to be a producer for quite a while. Um, it wasn't a secret, I don't think. Um, But what was a secret was Milo coming to Doogie um that was a, a fun little surprise mm. a jump scare Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. love you buddy <laughs> this one's for you this one's for you milo wherever you are so i had the pleasure of speaking with milo on a zombies three yes. junket but let, let's throw this last question at blake yes blake, what is next for you because of course prompt act <laughs> is the thing that you're going to talk about for the rest of your life yeah. and your career well, what's next? Are we allowed to know yet? Ooh. I don't know if I can tell Doogie you what's going up next. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Disney will do a Doogie <laughs> Outback, as Peyton just said. That could be fun. But um, yeah, there'll be some things coming up soon that the lovely people of the world will be able to hear about. But uh, we'll keep it secret for now. 
Like, okay, so then different it. substitute final question, and yeah, then I'll let you it. go. Who is the it. greatest Australian rock band of all time? Is it NXS, ACDC, the Bee Gees, The Living End? Who is it? Oh, I love... I love the NXS uh, for sure. I love NXS, but I also love the AC Beats, which is an old school yeah. uh, Australian band from the 60s. Love them. Australians, so we do our music easy. well. You're we do our so music pretty well. We got some... that, that was the predecessor to ACDC, right? George Young was in the AC Beats. Uh huh. Yep. Exactly right. You've got taste. Glad you know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's fantastic to see you in this project. Because longtime fan as a New Yorker, seeing you in the alternative comedy scene, and you've always been able to do mainstream projects and alternative projects. So if I can put words in your mouth, is where you're at right now exactly where you wanted to be all along, juggling the highbrow and the lowbrow? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, to me, it's really that's where it's at. Like, I love indie films, certainly. And I love doing... Uh, Movies like this is a very lavish, um, big Disney production, which to me is really exciting. So, yeah, I like the ability to kind of travel between all these different worlds. So for me, it's really ex ex exquisite and really the goal. Before I ask a bit more about Prompact, did anybody from the Luna Lounge scene in any way work on this project? Gosh. Because everyone from... All your old comedian peers are now the showrunners of Hollywood. True. I think, <laughs> um, you know, we have, uh, yeah, we have a rich history. That Luna Lounge, the, all those clubs like on Rivington, uh, whether that was like Luna Lounge or Stella, everything, yeah. you know, of course, um, now they're all doing amazing stuff um, in different capacities. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody from that specifically um, worked on this film. But, uh, you know, of course, they are running everything. Right, exactly. Well, Prompact, uh, I assume, fun project to be part of? It was so fun. And I love that it is a kind of uh, a throwback to all those great 80s teen comedy romances. But also it's a, a, an updated version, you know, centered on an Asian-American female mm -hmm. character who is very driven and... I really love that, but I think it's um, like acknowledging from the past of what we sort of need to fix and then fixing that up in a new way. Any research needed for this particular role? I was really going deep into Annie Potts from Pretty in Pink. To me, I think that's like the coolest cool adult archetype. Pretty in Pink, was that the John Hughes movie that gave the world Andrew Dice Clay or is that the one before? It's Andrew Dice. He's 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 the uh, the bouncer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that movie changed the world for better or for worse, right? Well, I confuse. I'm like, was it Valley Girl? Was it was it? And I, I think no. Andrew Dice Clay was in Pretty in Pink. I sometimes conflate Valley Girl with that too. Valley Girl is a really like forgotten masterpiece yeah. of the '80s as well. The Nick Cage mullet is legendary. and So good. And so over to you uh, for a second. Is Prompact the latest and greatest and last project, or is there a next thing that we can look forward to? Well, I'm in um, Cora Bora right now, uh, which is Meg Stalter's uh, film, which is just premiered at South by Southwest, which is really funny. has my first full nude scene. 
which is like so great. Great. Wait till you're in your mid fifties to do full nude scene. Really funny. I really love that. Um, and I'm out on tour doing comedy uh, with my live and livid show. So in other words, continuation of the doing everything for all people at all times yes. and keeping yourself happy. Doing my best. Thank you. <laughs> and then last question before I let you go. It's what's the last concert that you went to for fun? Because you notoriously have great taste in indie rock. Oh, and the last the last concert I went to for fun, uh, Jeff Tweedy. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize you were a Wilco person. Oh, gosh. I love Wilco. I, I toured with um, them a little bit doing some rock journalism for their Americana tour with Bob Dylan. And um, some of the members, like uh, Glenn Kochi and John, John and a couple other people are, uh, and, and Michael Jorgensen are in my band, um, Bros Before Chose. <laughs> so it's a very, uh, yeah, they, they are, I, I really love Jeff and um, I really love all of their different incarnations, but uh, it's a lot of fun to, to work with them. Sounds like I have more research to do, but looking forward to seeing you live in New York in the near future, and congratulations on Prompact. Thank you. The first question I have for you, do I call you Tom or Thomas? You know what? Do I call you Paltrow? You can. Pal Paltrowski. <laughs> How do you say your name? Paltrowitz. It's like Gwyneth Paltrow with the it's at the end. Wait, it's So what is it? Pal what is it? Paltrowitz. Uh, so Paltrowitz. Paltrowitz. Yeah, Paltrow, Paltrow, you put the it's hey. at the end, and then you suddenly have a career, right? <laughs> but do you go by Darren? I go by Darren, and oh, hey, man. it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. have been watching oh, man. your projects. Nope. For uh, most people call me Thomas um, in my professional life. Call me whatever you want. I really don't care. Sometimes you have to ask that. Like when I, had, when I interviewed Tommy Lee, that's a name drop. I said, do I call you Tommy? Like, does anyone get to call you Tom? And he said his mother when he when she was angry at him. And that's about right. it. And everybody else calls him Tommy Lee. Everyone calls him one name, Tommy oh, Lee. Right. That's it. So well, Sarah Jessica Parker, if you've ever interviewed her, it's either SJ or it's the whole Sarah Jessica, which is a lot. To, do you get to do the THC? Because let's say you you've got cool initials. A lot of people uh, since my you know, youth. A lot of, oh yeah, THC, THC. Uh, a lot of people just call me THC. A lot of people do. Well, but, uh, let's hit it running. Where are you, Darren? Long Island, New York, a town called Long Beach. Have you ever been out here? Uh, I don't know about Long Beach. Um, I've been to Long Island for sure. Um, Cause, yeah, because I worked with SJ for three seasons and she's way out at the end. Um, what is the name of that narragansett is it narragansett yeah i think that's where she is she's not really in a town she's kind of just she has her own enclave out there but i can uh, only imagine uh but uh i know it took forever to get out there driving uh because she invited me out on a saturday on a saturday and the weather was really nice it was like in may but okay. um anyway well fire away darren you got a pretty vivid looking house. Well, I mean, we're if I had an eight by ten or an eight by eleven of you, it'd be on that wall. So we'll save <laughs> that for the next interview. But uh, congratulations on Acid Man. I say that because you clearly put a lot of work into this movie. 
where it's it's fascinating, it's funny, it's touching. So, you know, you're managing to pull off the drama, the comedy, sci-fi all at the same time. Was it a difficult movie for you to make? Um, it was not uh, because we had a nine month pandemic layup mm -hmm. uh, to before we got to Oregon and started shooting. And I read the script in the summer of 20. We didn't shoot until May and June of 21. And so I had the luxury of all that time, Diana, New York, Alex in LA, me in mm -hmm. rural Texas, just getting on the phone whenever we really wanted to and just going through, talking about our lives, talking about what parts of our lives and relationships with fathers and daughters. Right you know, could, could plug in and, 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 and help us kind of organically fine tune the script and the characters. So I've never had that. I mean, I worked on Spider-Man three for two years, but it was so fragmented over those two years. You know, this was like nine months of not really being distracted by anything else. Right. I mean, I did have to do some remote work on no way home um in 20 and 21 uh but alex wasn't working on anything and diana wasn't working on anything mm -hmm. else and so and and no way home didn't take up that much of my time over that you know that year uh that they were making the movie so so yeah that was the best part is uh we just had so much time to really rehearse and refine and uh and i think it's on screen absolutely agreed when you signed on to the film was it called acid man or is there a working title no it was acid man yeah that was the name of the script um i believe i don't know so a lot of it the roots of a lot of it is alex and and his relationship with his father mm -hmm. and you know but a lot of other stuff came in too um, like I said, from other <laughs> father uh, paternal relationships, but um, I don't remember. I don't think where he lived in rural Pennsylvania. I don't think they called Alex's dad Acid Man, but I think they did. The locals did have some kind of a nickname, but I think organically Alex wanted to get away from that, mm -hmm. and it was just something that he and his co-writer Chris, I believe, came up with. Had you filmed much in Oregon before this film? Never, never. I'd shot in a couple of some things in in Seattle, and uh, feels like a lot of stuff in Vancouver. Right. Um, but uh, we were in very rural Oregon. We were nowhere near Portland, and nowhere near. Um, where's University of Oregon? What's that town? Is that Bend? Is it Bend? Eugene? It's like One of those. Eugene. I think it's Eugene. Or maybe it's Bend. But where that's in central Oregon, we were like, we were in south central, but very rural where we were. Um, I mean, the town that we lived in, it's like 300 people. It was really small, really small. So, so no, I'd never been there. So it sounded like you had nothing to do but work on the film, that there was and no- drive around, And drive around, and drive around, a really beautiful, beautiful country. Um, 
Yeah, but no, we, we spent a lot of time. If if we weren't actually shooting, mm -hmm. you know, we were scouting or, you know, Alex would want to get together with with myself and Diana and, you know, we would just do scene work and, you know, so yeah, there was there there was nothing to be distracted by. So this is a new movie for us, but for you, it's a couple of years ago. And looking at the IMDb page, there's four or five upcoming things. Are you allowed to say what's next after Acid Man? Um, there's a few things that I'm working on uh, that we that are right now I have something that I'm supposed to do this spring. Mm -hmm. Then in the summer, I'm doing a role in Horizon, which is big Kevin Costner series of Westerns. And uh, Kevin asked me, literally at the beginning of last year mm -hmm. um if i would do a role in 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 a couple of the movies and then he came back to me last year later just to kind of update me and then he and i talked again uh really just a couple of, i think we we talked again in january and he just wanted to once again give me an idea of but that's happening i think in montana uh this summer and then I have another picture in the fall that I'm doing. Deception Road, The Happy Worker, Chocolate Lizards, is that one? Lizards is coming out. We've already shot that. Happy Worker, we've shot that. Um, those are coming out. In fact, cool. Lizards is, is uh, in competition at the Dallas International Film Festival in the, at the end of April. And um, uh, what else? Deception Road, I'm not sure where that's at. Um, and then this summer, I have a big limited uh, Sony Peacock limited called Twisted Metal that's coming out. Great. Well, yeah. glad to see that. I don't know if you're a PlayStation guy ever. Yes. But uh, yeah, Twisted Metal with Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie and Stephanie Beatrice and oh. myself. <laughs> Who else is in it? Uh, Will Arnett is in it. Will Arnett is doing Sweet Tooth. So yeah, it's and it's big. Is it's Stephanie true. Beatrice doing her regular voice or her high voice in it? No, she's very much doing her regular. Okay. Uh, she plays, I dare say, a badass um, in, nice. in, in the show. And yeah, she's and she's great in it. She okay. and I are sort of, I'm sort I'm like, I'm really the villain. You know, if you know, do you know Twisted Metal at all? Yes. You do. Well, you know that Sweet Tooth is—he's kind of his own brand, and then I'm—I'm I'm really the more—I'm—I'm I'm the villain. Sweet Tooth is kind of—he kind of plays both sides. I—I <laughs> I believe you can pull that off. Well, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. And two quick questions, and then I'll let you roam free. And the first question I've got for you is, was there an ever an opportunity for you to have your own vineyard based on just how influential Sideways is decades later? I was never interested in that. Um, I was asked to, uh, by a couple of vineyards in <laughs> Santa Barbara County, if I would, you know, kind of like be their spokesperson or, and the truth of the matter is I don't drink wine. I don't really like wine. And I, you know, I was always very upfront about that um, in all the press that we did. And so, you know, I mean, it was very kind of them to ask, but, you know, they, it just, I didn't feel like an, an authentic fit 
for me to do that, to just take their money and not, <laughs> you know, not like, like I said, authentically represent them. Right. So, and I was never interested in having my own. And by the way, where I am in Texas, uh, the Texas wine country is literally blowing up, like not even far from where I live. Uh, between Kerrville and Austin, it's just going bonkers. So that's yeah, because the Texas hard. It's easy to get into business down there. Yeah. And last question for you. Who's your favorite band? I couldn't figure that out through easy Googling. Oh, my favorite band? Oh, God. You seem like a rock guy. Oh, I'm very much a rock guy. Um, I would say that's uh, because it spans 50 years of, you know, starting off listening when I was a kid to my older sister. I have three older sisters, all of their record collections, but then developing my own taste in the 80s or the 70s and the 80s. But I would say it's funny because my go-to answer all was always Van Halen. You, you, um, you mean like this Cabo Wabo shirt and the <laughs> mug? There you go. Um, it was always Van. I didn't even notice it. It was Van Halen for a long time, but then I kind of got tired of them, um, <laughs> even though I'd never admit that in open court. But now, who do I really dig a lot? I don't know. You know what? I have to, I have to, I would have to say over that the last 45 years or so, I would have to say it's probably the really the seventies collection of Aerosmith. Um, big Aerosmith fan still am. I mean, on my, you know, my playlist in my truck, there's probably more Aerosmith on that playlist, more Aerosmith and Van Halen than anybody else. But wow. there's a lot of newer stuff. There's a lot of newer stuff. Do you know this guy, Hardy? Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know who he is? I think he's a country guy, but he put out a rock album. Yes. And there's this song, Jack, that's been getting a ton of airplay, and it's actually excellent. It's a really good hard rock song. So I've kind of been paying attention to Hardy lately. Outrocast. How you doing, Darren? Where are you? I am in Long Island, New York. Yourself. Uh. I'm not far from you. We're uh, uh, we're in New York uh, because we open in theaters tonight in Greenwich Village. So I'm um, uh, in a, ho a hotel room in Midtown. That was an excellent segue and plug right there. So besides <laughs> answering the same questions over and over and over again about how much you love blood, sweat and tears, how's your day going? <laughs> the day is going great. You know, uh, as, a, as a documentary filmmaker, we sit in these dark editing rooms for months at a time. Sure. And, and we hope we're doing good work, but you don't really know until strangers start to see it. So um, folks like you that have seen the link and now we're talking about it or people that are going to come out to the theaters across the country over the next few weeks. Uh, that's really something to look forward to. And I'm really excited about it. I'm so proud of this film and really hope that people are going to show up and, and come and see it. Well, this is hardly the first incredible thing that you've worked on and you are for lack of a better term, a pop culture historian, because there's very few people who could do stuff on Sergio Mendez and Jonathan Winters. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you've been all around different facets of comedy and music and film and all that. So how much did you know from the end product of this Blood, Sweat and Tears documentary before you started? Did you know all of it or did some of the story unearth itself over time for you? Great question, Darren. 
um, one of the great things about this film is that it's, it's a largely unknown story. I didn't know anything about it. Most people don't because the band for many, many years was unable to say anything about it. Uh, and that's what made it so interesting for me. Uh, it started about, I mean, I was a fan of the band. Right. Um, uh, love their records and, and love that, that blend of jazz rock and, and uh, that powerful horn section. Mm -hmm. um, so when Bo uh, Bobby Columbia called me out of the blue about uh, two months before uh, COVID hit, and, and he said, uh, I want to take you to lunch and, and tell you a story. He had seen the, the Chasing Train film I had made a few years ago and liked it. And, and happily, he called me. So we went to lunch and I was telling him how much I, I liked the band. But, uh, but I said to him, what the hell happened to Blood, Sweat and Tears? Here you, you guys were uh, one of the hottest bands going. And then suddenly you weren't. What happened? He said, that's the story I'm going to tell you. And he only really kind of knew, Darren, the the general framework of the story. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, uh, 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 when you're traveling with a band, you're, you're busy rehearsing and, and, right. and practicing all that kind of stuff. And there are nine guys and not all of them saw all of the things at the same time. So it took a lot of work uh, for me and my creative team uh, to piece together the whole story. Uh, and we were able to do that through finding a lot of um, uh, top secret uh, uh, declassified government documents, finding a lot of film footage. Uh, so uh, people who are going to come and see the film are going to learn a lot, but they're also going to be entertained by a lot of film that they've not seen before. Now, you said, what the hell happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? That declaration slash title is not too far from your Harry Nilsson documentary, which I <laughs> loved. I loved that. Was uh, it a coincidence that you had two similar titles like that? Uh, probably not a coincidence. You know, I think um, that's your brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they, I, think, I think it's more. Uh, I just think in a certain way, and right. it just I wanted to have a provocative title um, that we hope that we answer by the uh, uh, end of the picture. Um, you know, I think most writers, if you look at them, they have a style, they have a technique, they have something that they do, and many of the titles that that uh, I've done are somewhat provocative, and uh, prefer it that way. There's there's so many films coming out. There's so many options to see on streaming and all of that. So you want to come up with something that will kind of cut through the noise and somebody says, ah, you know, I got to go see that. Well said. Well, if I could talk about myself for a second, I'm putting together a book that's coming out early next year on David Lee Roth from Van Halen. And Van Halen is one of the hardest bands to crack because there's a lot of people who just won't talk. There's a lot of things that are behind closed doors, et cetera. Van Halen is up there, but I would have to say that Blood, Sweat and Tears is a more challenging one because you have the Al Cooper era, you have the David Clayton Thomas stuff, you have the fact that neither of those guys own the band, Bobby owns the band. You have different lineups. You had periods where there was two or three Blood, Sweat and Tears versions on the road at the same time. What was the hardest part for you in getting this done? Was it estate clearances or was it the government documents? Um, I would say government documents and COVID. COVID really was a, a challenge for us. Um, when you're researching a film, you need to have access to libraries and archives and, uh, and sources for footage and photos. 
And during COVID, a lot of those places were closed up or right. operating uh, like at half speed. And so that slowed us down. Also, uh, we couldn't really fly anywhere to do interviews with the band members or our experts. Uh, for example, David Clayton Thomas lives in uh, Canada. We right. couldn't get into Canada. It was close to Americans. So those are some of the biggest challenges. What was not a challenge really was the band. Um, you, you rightly talk about the various iterations over the years. You know, it's interesting. Some Blood, Sweat and Tears fans uh, love the Al Cooper album and, and Pooh Pooh the rest. Uh, others love the David Clayton Thomas era and Pooh Pooh the Al Cooper. I, I love it all. So I, I have no uh, bias in, in any way there. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Brent Smith from the band Shinedown, and you are watching the Paltrowcast. Paltrowcast.